podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello everyone and welcome to this week's edition of the Spanish Football Podcast. I'm Phil Kittramelides. As ever, Sydney Lowe is with me. Hello, Sid. Hello, Phil. How are you doing? I'm okay. You? Yeah, not too bad, thank you. Good. Normal Monday stuff, you know. No, normal Monday, so pretty frantic and exhausted, I think, is the, uh, <laughs> the sort of, the, uh, the normal Monday feeling. Anyway, we're here to do our favourite thing that we do on a Monday, and that's record this podcast that you lovely people are listening to. Uh, before we get to what happened this weekend, we'd love to tell you about our Patreon, because our series of TSFP Presents Top Fives returned last week with a brand new episode. We picked our Top 5 La Liga Disappointments. And there were many. If you'd like to hear us talk about Kakars, Latan, Danielson, and the rest, join us at patreon.com forward slash TSFP. It's only around four euros a month. Annual memberships with 10% off are now available as well. So come and join us. You get bonus pods every week, Q&A pod every week, and in theory, two episodes of TSFP presents every month. Uh, let's tell you what happened on match day 17 then in La Liga. Uh, on Friday night, we saw Celta Vigo and Villarreal play out a 1-1 draw. Then on Saturday, the mighty Rayo Vallecano 1-1-0 at Valladolid. A brilliant goal from Isi Palazón, who continues to impress everyone, particularly me. Absolutely love that guy. And <laughs> should I let the listeners in on a little secret? I dreamed about Isi Palazón. I, dre- I literally <laughs> dreamed about him on Saturday night. Uh, nothing funny, but um, yeah, it was... Um, it was, a, it was quite a vivid dream. Anyway, uh, Girona beating Sevilla <laughs> by two goals to one. Um, that's a bit too much information, probably. Uh, Sevilla dropping into... No, not quite enough, actually. <laughs> not quite enough. I think we, we, we actually need the whole dream pos- pro- properly spelled out. <laughs> uh, OK, we'll do that for patrons. Um, G- uh, Girona beating Sevilla by two goals to one. Sevilla dropping into the relegation zone after their... Eighth loss of the season. They're an absolute catastrophe. Uh, Girona can't keep a clean sheet. They haven't kept a clean sheet all season. But it doesn't matter because they play nice football and score goals. Osasuna beating Bayorca by uh, a goal to nil. At El Sadar, really nicely taken goal by Aymar Oroz. And the Bas derby, El Derby Vasco, was won by Real Sociedad, who beat Athletic Club by three goals to one. Uh, then on Sunday, Sid managed to get from San Sebastián to Getafe in time. To watch Getafe 1, Espanyol 2, did not have this game down as producing three potential goal of the season's uh, contenders. But it did, three magnificent goals. Uh, but it was Espanyol that took all three points. And then there was a really entertaining game between Almeria and Atletico Madrid. Unless you're an Atletico Madrid fan, then it was bloody awful. It finished 1-1 and Atleti are really not very good and in trouble. Uh, then the Spanish Super Cup also took place... This weekend, the final was in Riyadh, in Saudi Arabia, and Barcelona really just steamrolled Real Madrid by uh, three goals to one. Monday night football is huge, by the way. It's 19th place Cadiz against 20th place Elche, if, if that's your kind of thing. I think that's a platinum level Spanish football uh, game. So <laughs> if you are a platinum level card holder, um, enjoy that one this evening. Shall we start with the biggest game in Spanish football this weekend then, Sydney? Yep. The Bas Derby, which was at the Real Arena. Yep. You were there. You witnessed firsthand the magnificence of this fixture. Allow me to digress a little bit and without meaning to offend anyone, but we've just had the 
we've just had the World Cup in Qatar. Argentinians particularly enjoyed it, but a lot of people were drawn in by the spectacle, the good organisation, how well everything was run, and ultimately quite an enjoyable tournament. But it felt a little bit manufactured, I think it's fair to say. This, on Saturday night, for me, it just felt like the antithesis of what we'd seen in Qatar. This was proper, Sid. This was a proper, real footballing experience. And maybe I'm going overboard on the analogy or the comparison, but it just felt so organic. I mean, this is just something that that always happens. When these two sides meet, they always produce this kind of atmosphere. The game was brilliant itself. The stadium was at times literally physically rocking. It was just brilliant to watch. It was really, really enjoyable. And and it had a little bit of everything. Uh, It's always, as you say, it's always a good game in terms of the surroundings, the the, the sense. I think organic's a really good word. Kind of the sense of its kind of connection to its community, its uh, connection to its history. Two clubs very, very well aware of the identification between players and fans. One of the great success stories in recent years is is Real Sociedad's um, redevelopment of the stadium, which makes it a far, far better place for this game than it once was, the, the removal of running track, the bringing the players, uh, sorry, of the fans close to the pitch, the fact that there's an identification there anyway, and on top of that, the team is playing well. The start of this game, 22 players on the pitch. Um, I think I'm right in saying it was 13 Basques and 16 youth team players, people who've been in the youth system at one or other of these two clubs. Obviously, it's a little bit more in the case of Athletic than in the case of Real Sociedad, but they produce a huge number of players as well themselves. Um, and as a game, it was almost perfect for, for, for Real Sociedad. It had a, a pretty good performance, uh, an intense performance, if, if not necessarily always a, a glittering one, but moments of really, really good skill within that. Um, you saw two Really nice goals for for slightly different reasons. You, I think you saw the mix of styles that Real Sociedad have, which is that this is a team that plays everybody inside that's technically very good. Uh, a whole team, pretty much, it feels like it at times, of left-footers. I think of the starting eleven. I think six are left-footers, which which always sort of has adds a little something, doesn't it, to a team? And then, of course, with it, you saw, I think, that intensity and that aggressiveness that actually makes Real Sociedad slightly different from the way that people imagine them to be when they look at that midfield diamond and they look at the way that they play inside so much. Then on top of that, you have other things to make it brilliant. To go with the atmosphere, you have... um, Barrenechea finally coming back from injury, but in particular you have Oyarzabal coming back from injury and scoring for the first time uh, in 315 days. It was at the Bernabeu back in, I think, March of last year that he last scored a penalty in a game that they lost anyway. Um, and, and so there was the kind of, if you like, the emotional component to go with it, as well as all the other things. So, for example, the old town during the day, absolutely packed with fans of both teams, uh, really packed around the ground as well. There was a stage erected, there, was, there were bands playing, but it didn't feel forced and imposed. It felt like part of it. The bars around the ground were full. They were still full, obviously, as you can probably imagine, after the game as well, for a good hour and a half or so after the game, maybe more. Um, the, the stadium was quiet, but outside there was still a lot of noise. There were still still people around. It just felt like a properly good occasion and a really big win for Real Sociedad as well as the, the, the performance level, because this is a win that puts them in third place, which they were already in, but only three points behind Real Madrid. And it opens up a seven-point lead between them and Atletico, Villarreal and uh, Betis, isn't it, the other one? Hmm. It was. Uh, l- lots of aspects of this performance was, were incredibly positive uh, for La Real. want to touch upon perhaps the most important one of all, the return of Mikel Oyarzabal. La Real have done all this 
They've got to third place in the table. They've qualified from the Europa League group ahead of Manchester United relatively easily. They've been thrilling us all season without their best player. Mikel Oerthabal yeah. has been injured. He's been taking a long time to come back. And of course, the fact that the team has been doing so well means that they've been able to not rush him back. They've been able to give him time to uh, get back to full fitness and not have to uh, bring him straight back and perhaps risk him getting injured uh, once again. He came off the bench, scored, and when he celebrated, he celebrated right in front of you, Sid, and he was on the verge of tears. It was quite an emotional yeah. moment. Yeah, it was uh, really quite something to watch and, and see that close up. So he, he runs towards the stand. Uh, obviously, I'm at, at that end behind the goal um, and, and behind the advertising boards, not in with the fans. And, and the players all jump onto him. And I think one of the things that made it really striking, as you say, there was that moment where there's a moment where he puts his, his, his head in his hands and his teammates kind of close ranks around him and embrace him and they're already celebrating with him but at that point they embrace him and it becomes I think about him he then runs to the touchline and embraces I think I, I was actually I actually found the list this afternoon uh, well, I found this I asked someone who could tell me the list embraces seven members of staff physios doctors kit men people who've been with him all the way through this this recovery process of course he kisses the badge and you might think well that's a bit naff but coming from him it absolutely isn't you know, coming from him, this is this this means something. And he made, a, I thought, a really nice comment after the game. He said, "Look, there are loads of people behind the scenes who we see every day, who work for us every day, who look after us every day. And when you're coming back from recovery, mm. in particular, you're with them all of the time." And he said, "And we know this as players, but it's good that the people see it as well." So when he goes to embrace that, brace those people on the touchline, it's about saying, "This is all of us. It's not just me." And one of the other things that I liked, and, and I like the fact that you've started on this, if only because it gives me if you like, the support to, to, to get away with writing, which I've written today, this was a derby that seemed to have absolutely everything and even and, and, and then had this moment, which was even better than the rest of it, that rounded it off, if you like, that, you mm-hmm. know, made, it, made it even better. Um, and it was interesting because talking to Takekubo and Sorloff after the game, the two players who scored the other two goals, and frankly, better goals than Oyathabal scored, because, of course, he scores the penalty, <laughs> both of them asked, what was your favourite moment? Said, Mikel scoring. Mm. Um, so much so, by the way, I was, got quite, I was taken by this. Sorloth calls him Mike. So it's great to see Mike back. <laughs> Who? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Great to see Mike back. Well, it is. Maybe we should start calling him Mike. Mike yeah, or I think maybe fella. we should. Yeah. Mike, well, it, yeah. It, was, it was great to see Mike back. And um, long may his... Um, Long may his comeback continue. I mean, hopefully he'll get back to full strength. There's a, there's a big strength. question here, Phil, by the does, way. Does he get back I mean, into you, the full you, team, into the first team? Yeah. 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 And, and not just that, not just that, but this is the really interesting thing. And, and you, you were talking about this a minute ago. They, they have done all this without their best player. They have partly done all this without their best player by shifting the approach. The way they play is different now. So not only did they lose Oyazabal to injury, but in the summer you have um, Yanusai has gone. Porto has gone. Alexander Isak, the centre-forward, has gone. There's another wing I'm trying to think of. Uh, Baranechena has been injured and he, he would normally play wide. There's a, there's a bit of me that thinks I've forgotten someone. But but in any case, you've got this kind of width and these people who open the pitch up and, and go at you from wider positions and they're not there. And so you get, a, if you like, a c- complete restructuring of the middle of the pitch. Mm. And you've got this quite narrow diamond now, which is Silva and Marino and Bryce and... Thubimendi. Um, Thubimendi. And Fubi Mendy. And then you've got Take Kubo theoretically playing as a forward. 
but he sort of joins them. Not a huge amount. And he said something very interesting yesterday after the game. He said, he said, one of the nice things about playing with them is I can stay at the top of the pitch and not have to come back because I know they'll bring the ball to me. Mm. But he does get involved in kind of creating a little bit with them and so on. And so you get this quite nice situation in which you've got a complete shift in style. You've got a team that plays inside and now their best player comes back. And it's not just, does he get in the team? But if he does, how do they structure this now? Now, he could play an inside role, <laughs> well, but, it's, but it's going to be very interesting to see how they deal with this. Well, he is, um, yeah, he's a relatively versatile player, so I guess he could play at the top of the diamond instead of David Silva if he needs a rest. He could play as one of the, the two further forward players, either Kubo or, or, or Sorlot, but but yeah, it's, it, it has... Yeah. It, it has necessitated a restructure, so let's see um, how they uh, how they get on uh, when he's back to full fitness. There's lots we could talk about in terms of other players because they've got so many good players, La Real. But we're yeah. we're we're, we're going to move on. Just to underline a point that you made uh, at the start of the show about their aggression, they are the team with the highest number of fouls per game in La Liga, and you wouldn't think yep. that when you look at that perhaps dainty looking midfield diamond with Take Kubo just ahead of it as well. But this is an aggressive side and that is very much part of their yeah. their team and part of their success as well. Uh, they're doing really well and we love to see it. We're going to move on and talk about Atletico Madrid and their 1-1 draw at Almeria. Uh, you sent us a WhatsApp, Sid, during the game or maybe just afterwards and it's... Well, I'm going to paraphrase. Uh, Atletico Madrid aren't a particularly good team is yes. the paraphrasing of what you said. You were a little bit more strong in forthright in your in your words. Uh, Atletico are a bit shit, I think. There we go. Um, <laughs> I think I might have said that, yeah. I think that's what you said. They are. Exactly and, and, and I think what was quite noticeable in this is that not only... Not only were they not particularly good in terms of uh, creating, well, no, they did create some chances, but in terms yeah, of they their, did, their, fairness, they did, yeah. they did, they did. But in terms of their, their their passing and their movement, I mean, generally they looked a little bit all over the place. But so did Diego Simeone, just constantly changing yeah. things up, making really quite bizarre substitutions, going from five at the back to four at the back, five at the back again, uh, putting people on in different positions. It was, it was all a little bit desperate from Cholo and. This is a really, really, really poor run of form. And they are staring possible not Champions League qualification right in the face now, which would be uh, a catastrophe. But this game, Sid, I enjoyed watching it because I'm not an Atletico yeah, Madrid fun. fan. It was and fun. it was fun. Yeah. But Atleti are, are, are not good at the moment. No. Um, and, and as you say, we, we, we say they're not very good and, and they're not. And you, you could maybe use this game and look at the statistics and say, look at the chances they created. And there's a couple of really bad misses. The Correa miss is, is, is extraordinary. Mm. Now, you can talk about how, how, um, uh, how Fernando makes the, the save. Um, but you think, well, yeah, but it, it's hit straight at him. And it's still a great save in the sense that the guy's three yards out and you shouldn't be saving that. But it's hit straight at him. It's a miss more than a save, in my opinion. Um, and Simeone talked about the goalkeeper making saves. But you go through them and you think, well, how many of them are really, really good saves? These are chances missed, I think, more than more than, than chances denied. I think even if you look at that and you say, well, Atletico, we can't judge them too harshly because they make chances. But I think you're right. There was a sort of a feeling that it was chaotic, a feeling that it wasn't clear what they were trying to do and those chances missed are in any case a problem and I, I want to just kind of pick up on something that, that Simeone said after the game he said after the game 
you, you, you just kind of keep going, or words to this effect, you keep going. But then the actual phrase that really struck me was, he said, I have no doubt that the goals will appear when it's most important, you know, when we most need them. Okay. Now, I have two problems with that. Problem number one is, will they? Like, will, will they actually appear? Because, because who's going to score them? Jao Felix has just left and he scored more goals for Atletico in 2022 than anyone else. Now, I'm not saying that means he shouldn't have gone, because quite honestly, I think he should have gone, given the circumstances. Um, Griezmann, I think, is a brilliant player and will score goals in the right position, but he's sort of doing everything at the moment. Morata is someone who I think, in a good run, scores quite a lot of goals, but there's always the doubt about him, and Simeone clearly has that doubt. He plays Angel Correa up front this weekend, who's not really a number nine, mm-hmm. and we know with Correa, he can do something amazing and do something absolutely terrible in the same move sometimes, mm-hmm. right? So that's point number one. Will those goals come? But here's the really big question for me. Let's go back to that phrase again. The goals will appear when it really matters. No, they won't, Diego, because they already haven't. When mm. it really matters has been and gone. Right? This, this idea that the big moments are coming, they're not. The big moments have gone. You're out of Europe. You're out of a Champions League place. You're not going to win the league. The moment for these goals to have appeared, if you have some sort of faith, and I understand this in, you know, when it really matters, it'll happen. No, no, because when it really matters has gone now. Mm. It really mattered ages ago. Mm. It did. It did. I mean, it does sort of matter for them to finish top four now. They've got yes, to finish top yes, four. Yes, it does. Yeah, yeah. And they've got to try and win the Copa del Rey. But yeah, I mean, the uh, the season is sort of petering out before we've even got to the halfway point. I want to go back to the theme about goals. And I was looking at Alvaro Morata and you said he's someone that can get goals. These are his numbers. When he has a run. These are he his numbers. Ratchets. That's the thing about him. Yeah, go on, please. These, these are his league numbers uh, since the 2016-2017 season when with Real Madrid, he scored 15 league goals. Then 11, then 11, then 12, then 11, then 9, and now 6, midway through almost the season. So he's basically on track for his average number of goals per season, which is around about 11 or 12. I don't think you can ask that much more of him. He's 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 a striker that isn't going to score twenty goals a season. He's never scored twenty goals he, a season. Exactly. He is what he is. Yeah. Um, he's a presence in the area. He, as Luis Enrique always talks about the Spanish national team, he opens up space for others. He closes people down. He makes things happen. Um, he works. He works really, really hard. He's very willing. But we've always talked about him having a vulnerability. Now, I think there are periods when he's on form and suddenly it seems to be working for him and you can watch him sometimes and think yeah he he could be really good which I suppose explains why this player who's never been a particularly good goal scorer or you know or ultra high level goal scorer has had so many big transfers because Mm. somewhere along the line at some point someone always thinks actually he could be and there are times when I myself think that and his his performances for Atletico when they came back from the pandemic that sort of what was it, eleven game or twelve game sort of final run for towards the end of the league in whichever year it was. Now I've totally lost track of time. Mm. He came back and he was really good, and and I don't know if that's to do with empty stadiums, whether it's just purely chance that that's the case. But for whatever reason, there just isn't a faith in him. One thing I would say with him though at Atletico is, at least he might actually give you someone who runs beyond. At least he might actually put you give you some presence in the penalty area, mm. which at the moment, at least in, in, he is in theory a central striker and they just don't have one hmm. they don't 
and uh, they are in trouble. Let's see how they uh, get on. Obviously, they've got the Copa del Rey uh, in midweek. That is really big for them, and they're away at Levante, who are in the Segunda División, but had a habit of giving Atletico Madrid real problems when they were in La Liga, so that could be one to keep an eye yeah. on uh, in yeah. midweek. Uh, did you watch any of Girona against Sevilla? I wasn't able to. I've watched the highlights, but I've not watched the game. Sevilla? Absolutely catastrophic in this game. I think they are so yeah. all over the place, so lacking in any kind of identity. And it's so stark from what they were under Julian Lopetegui a year ago, a year ago under Julian Lopetegui. They yeah. were such a well-organised, well-drilled unit. Everybody knew where they were supposed to be, what they were supposed to be doing. Perhaps a little bit too rigid. We actually said that at times. They're a little bit yes. too rigid. Yes. Now they just seem so chaotic. The insistence of Sampaoli of playing the ball out from the back and using someone like Tangi Nianzu, the young centre-back, whose confidence is absolutely shot now. And even more so after this weekend when it was his error in the 88th minute which led to Girona's winner. It was the most eye-catching of a number of errors from Nianzu, who did actually score Sevilla's goal, uh, but did not look comfortable in any aspect uh, throughout the game. There are so many problems here at Sevilla. And I think, Sid, genuinely, I think Sampaoli doesn't last, might not even last a month because they've got a... No, what? I, listen, they've got, they might, he might not even last a week because they've got a really tough... Copa del Rey fixture away at Alaves on Tuesday night, which is broadly speaking perhaps the equivalent of of, of going to Stoke uh, on a Tuesday night yes. in the cup. Yeah. They're going to be up for it. It's going to be packed. It's going to be cold. It's going to be aggressive. It's going to be, it's tough. And then they've got Cadiz at the weekend. If they lose both or even one of those games, his position is going to be getting very close to being untenable. And he said today in the press conference before the Alaves game, I'm not thinking about quitting, okay? You're not thinking about quitting, but I think the club and their hierarchy are beginning to get nervous because there has been absolutely no improvement with him. In fact, they've gone backwards when he took over after seven games. They were 17th. They've now played 17 games and they're 18th. It's quite startling. And over the weekend, uh, I don't know if you saw this, that some... I mean, reprehensible graffiti from the ultras at the uh, Sporting Complex, the Ciudad Deportiva, the training ground, uh, appeared over the weekend. It said, if you're relegated, you will have nowhere to hide. Obviously, we can't condone this lamentable, uh, threatening behaviour. doesn't matter how upset you are with your team. Um, you, you, you can't be doing this. But for me, it was interesting that the word relegation and the concept of them going down is actually really... Uh, very present now in everybody's mind involved with Sevilla because up to now, that nah, they'll get out of it. Nah, they'll be all right. Nah, they're too good to go down. They're not, and they don't have the squad capacitated yeah. to deal with this. They, they, they're in serious trouble, man. Yeah, and 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 the fact that relegation is now a reality on people's minds, I think, is very significant, and I think that starts to play into the players as well, and that starts to create a tension, which which probably doesn't help I think sometimes fans seem to think that it's about how much they care and it's not about that and sometimes you can care too much and it become it becomes mm. worse and there are teams I think that are, are are better equipped to deal with that than others and and in theory at least now obviously look we'd have to see how this plays out Sevilla wouldn't be one of them because this is not what they're what they do if you sort of mean I, I mean I remember at the very start of the season having a a chat to a couple of Cardiff players um, and and they were just sort of saying well yeah it's good 
going to be a season where we're fighting against relegation, but we know hmm. that. That's all right. That's, that's what we're yeah. here for. And I, and I think some of the bigger clubs don't have that. I think the, the, the other thing is to, to go back to your very starting point, which is about Sampaoli seeing out the month. Here's the thing, or one of the other things for me that I think is really significant. You as a club, um, and in particular as a sporting director in Monchi's case, assuming that Monchi has freedom to make this choice and this choice doesn't get taken above his head, you have to make that choice quick. Because you, or at the very least, you need to choose between if I am going to reinforce the team during this winter window, am I doing that according to the criteria of the coach, according to my criteria, according to the criteria of a different coach coming in? Is this clear enough now? And so if, you, if you're a sporting director and you're not sure about the coach and the coach says to you, I want, let's say for argument's sake, I don't know, I want a, a very quick number eight. Do you go and buy that player? Mm-hmm. Because that's what the coach wants. Or do you think, well, I'm not sure I'm sticking with him. And if you don't do it, you're undermining him. And if you're thinking about who the next manager is, are you already thinking about the signings for him? Or are you secure enough in your own identity that it doesn't matter who the coach is there? I don't believe you can Mm. be. And so there's a little bit of me that thinks, if you think that Sampaoli is going to get sacked as a sporting director, or if you think there's a chance that you might be put in that position, there's a bit of me, and I'd never, I, I feel very uneasy ever calling for anyone to be sacked. There is a bit of me that thinks, do it now. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Do it now while yeah. you can still construct something that fits the man that comes in. Now, you might already have an idea of that man and maybe you can build towards him anyway, but if you do that in a way, you're just wasting time before that happens. Unless, of course, the, argu- the counter-argument to that would be, Whoever I bring in, it will be someone who plays a similar style to Sam Paoli, even if not the similar personality, mm. a similar style at mm. least. Uh, it's 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 really bad for Sevilla at the moment. And if if Cadiz get anything out of their game tonight against Elche, Sevilla will drop to nineteenth in the table. Um, let's talk about the Supercopa. Barcelona beating Real Madrid three one, and they were much 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 better than Real Madrid in every aspect of play, from the start to the finish. It was a comprehensive victory for uh, Barcelona. Uh, Al has put here in the uh, in, in the production notes. Hard to say what went wrong for Madrid because nothing went right, and it's true. Absolutely nothing yeah. went right for Real Madrid uh, from start to finish. They were overrun. Yeah, well, one thing went right for them, and that was Courtois. Um, because you can genuinely look at this and say, this finishes 3-1. He makes, what, four, five saves, of which at least two are exceptional. Mm. You know, we're, we're talking about a 4-5, maybe even a 6-1 here. Um, the, the sense of superiority, the sense that Barcelona were just moving the ball on and Madrid never even had... It's not even as if Madrid really had the chance to try and kick them out of the game. Mm. They weren't getting to the ball in time to do that. Um, the, 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 the sense of comfort from Barcelona, I think this is really significant. I mean, look, it's the Supercopa and we've been saying that this is kind of the least important of the trophies. I would say it's actually even less important than some non-trophy things like, for example, Champions League qualifications and so on. Um, but I think emotionally this was significant for Barcelona, which may play a part, more significant for Barcelona maybe than for Real Madrid, may play a part in the way that it was approached. But I actually think Madrid have had problems since the return from the World Cup. Maybe even a slight glimmer of them a little bit before that. I also think this is significant for Barcelona because we've been saying that we weren't seeing Barcelona, Chavian Barcelona, if you like, very much, certainly since the return from the World Cup. And this is the first time that this is exactly the way he would want it to be. He said post-game, didn't he? He said, he said I'm really pleased because of the comma, the how, mm. not just mm. the what, but the how, the way that we played, the way that we controlled the game. And they were... They were exceptional, but they were exceptional against a team that looked really, really slow. There's that moment, isn't there, when Balde runs away from Danny Carvalho yeah. 
And you sort of think that is kind of symbolic of the whole thing. Uh, this is Barcelona's best starting eleven, isn't it? And this is the starting eleven for the big game, surely, with the four midfielders, Busquets, De Jong, uh, Pedri and Gavi. Gavi playing a little bit further forward and he had a terrific game, Gavi. We've seen him come in big matches yeah. and, and, and shine, particularly for Spain when he made his debut against Italy in the Nations League and, and he looked fantastic. He's 18 and he was absolutely bossing yeah. this game. Yeah, and he's got, we talked a lot about his personality, he's got great technical qualities and I think we, we need to be careful and, and Luis Enrique was right about this, uh, I think it was in Seville, uh, Betis's ground when they drew with Portugal in the Nations League and he was saying, look, we've talked so much about him as a kid who doesn't back down, who's in people's faces, but let's not forget how good he is technically. And he said something very interesting that day. He said there are a lot of people who don't realise how good he is, including people very close to him. And I think he was talking about Barcelona. And I feel like Xavi has been a little slow to see Gavi's qualities, or maybe not a little slow to see his qualities, but a little slow to think he is absolutely the player. Mm. Um, and it's curious, isn't it? Because sometimes you watch them and you think, ah, oh, Gavi's better than Pedri. Then you watch Pedri play really well. Think, Whoa, what a player Pedri is. And actually, <laughs> I think the bottom line is they've got two midfielders who are going to have a really, really big role for a very long time to come. You know, barring injuries and all the things that can get in the way. And I think you're, you're right as well. It's very interesting to see this reconstruction of the midfield to add an extra man in there. Mm. And that gives a bit of freedom to Gavi. I think it takes him out of some of the areas that he'd like to be in. But I think it allows him to be a little bit less positional if you like to be a little bit looser and I think that could actually turn out to be really quite good for him uh, first trophy for Chabi as manager of Barcelona emotionally you feel that that's important certainly was celebrated yes. wildly by the players and the and the managing staff alike I mean it could be the start of something you know we could be looking back here on this in years to come and say that was the first trophy for Chabi as as manager of Barcelona it, it could be important it could be, um, you know, it, it could be. But it, the thing is, of course, we've got <laughs> when we analyse this from the position of today, we look at this and think it could be important because it's the first one from the position of tomorrow. If let's say for argument's sake, they go and win the league this year or go on and win maybe even the league in the cup or the league and something in Europe or at least a, a trophy or two trophies of the three available. Or who knows? Maybe even the three. Um, then we'll say, well, it was important because it was a step towards it. But had they lost last night, they might still go on and do those things. <laughs> so, so the analysis is, is difficult to make. But I do think emotionally it probably matters. I think it reinforces them. I think it gives him a little bit of strength at a club where it's notoriously difficult to not have people looking at you, to not feel like there's someone waiting for you to fail, to not be looking over your shoulder. So I think from that point of view, it's important. I hope as well that it's important in terms of um, Chavi looking at this and thinking, OK, I, I'm going to really bed in this midfield now. Because, to be perfectly honest, and uh, I apologise for this because it makes it sound like I'm doubting Chavi and, and just on the day when he's won something and it would be very unfair to do so because I think we've seen some really dramatic changes with him and some really good shifts into the right direction. And we saw them, of course, go to the Bernabeu last year and beat Real Madrid and play really, really brilliantly. And we talked then about maybe this was the start of something while we knew then that it was too late for them to win the league. Um but the other player that, that I think is interesting is De Jong, because that's another one that they weren't sure about. Mm -hmm. In fact, someone they were actively trying to sell in the summer. But I just wonder if he just gives that little bit of security that enables Busquets to be Busquets. Because in the right context, and we've talked about this in particular with the Spanish national team, which as it turned out the World Cup, it felt like the context wasn't quite right. With the right context, you can still see a pretty good Busquets. You can, in the right context. I think it was, I think, was it Edda Sarabia who tweeted during the game? He said, in, in this context, Busquets is still the best in the world in his position, in this context. Oh, right. 
Uh, did he so, use yeah. the phrase context? I think he Brilliant. did say Is he context, copying yeah. me or am I copying him? Right. Oh. I don't know. Send him a text and ask him. Yeah, yeah. What's going on? <laughs> right. Uh, Oh, yes. Quick word about Real Madrid as well. You're never far away from a crisis at Real Madrid. Yeah, <laughs> the, the, I know. The current Spanish and, 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 and European champions who are three points behind Barcelona. <laughs> but they did just lose the Spanish Super Cup to Barcelona. Yeah. And this week, and this week rather, in midweek, Thursday night, they're away to Villarreal in the Copa del Rey. And then at the weekend, they're away to Athletic Club in La Liga and then they play Real Sociedad and then they play Valencia okay big name but not necessarily too difficult but wow I mean it's a tough run of fixtures and it could leave them in a difficult position conversely it might just be (laughs) typical Real Madrid and say you know what you think we're going to struggle bam three wins out of three but yeah yeah, it's, it's potentially difficult I must admit, that's exactly what I was thinking. We've been here before. We've been in these scenarios. Now, it doesn't always work. And of course, you know, by definition, harder teams are harder to beat, right? That's reality. And if we look at the stats, I'm sure that Real Madrid win more often against Cadiz than they do against Atletico or Barcelona or, 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 or whoever it may be, or Villarreal. Definitely, we've seen that their results certainly away against Villarreal have been, was it six wins, six years without winning away at the Madrigal or the Ceramica? Mm. But it is true that we feel like we've been here before, that you, you have this setup where it's a week where Real Madrid have just lost in the league and they've got a cup game in midweek or a European game in midweek and then a really tough league game and then a really tough European or cup game after that. And you think, whoa, three games coming, their season could be over. Yeah, or mm. they could be going, hello, <laughs> we're Real Madrid. <laughs> and, they, and they so often are. And, and as you say, they're, they're never that far from a crisis, but they're also never that far from being the best team in the world again. And they're an almost impossible team to fathom, except they've got lots of very good players who I sometimes think have these kind of peaks and troughs, which are to do with, if you like, the emotional side of the game, the physical side of the game. Maybe the, sometimes the lack of a structure means that it doesn't always look as good as it should do, but then the quality of the players raises them ab- above it. You know, this is a team absurd though it sounds, who won the European Cup last year and we spent the whole season thinking they're not that good. Mm-hmm. And then they won the European Cup and they won the league ultimately very comfortably. Turns out they and were. And about halfway yeah. through the season. Uh, about halfway through the season we were thinking we're not sure how good they are but by the end we say they were best team in Spain by a very long way. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a team that won three European Cups in a row and we were still not sure. Now obviously this is actually our fault in part. That, you know, at, at times maybe our analysis has been unfair on them. At times maybe we haven't recognised some of the, the, the things that they do. But this is why, yeah, to use the old cliche that we used to say about the Germans, never write off the Germans, never write off Real Madrid either. No, absolutely not. No one's writing them off. At- but they do have problems. And, and genuinely, the way they are playing at the moment mm-hmm. isn't good. Mm-hmm. But you look at it and you think these are... You look at them and you think these are temporary things because these are players that we know can play well who either look physically not right or don't look kind of entirely, what would you call it, sort of mentally tuned in, Mm. or or structurally it doesn't look quite right. And you sort of think, yeah, but we know that we've seen these exact same players get it right before. And this isn't a full-blown crisis yet. This isn't like watching Liverpool, who were on the verge of winning all four last year and now look like a total shambles. This is Real Madrid looking like a wobble rather than a shambles. Yeah, Real Madrid-Liverpool is going to be interesting in the the Champions League. It really is, yeah. It feels like this happens almost every January with Real Madrid and perhaps... Yes, exactly. That's the other reason to to not get too carried away with it. Uh, Okay, before we go, a quick word about what happened in the Segunda. The biggest result was probably Javi Calleja's Levante beating Paco López's Granada 3-1. Levante a third. They're behind leaders Eibar, who beat Malaga 2-1 and Las Palmas who won 2-1 at Ibiza. Alaves and Antififth after they were beaten 1-0 by 
the mighty Oviedo get in there on Friday night. Uh, this week it's the Oviedo are only three points off a playoff place, eh? They usually are back back into Oviedo territory. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, this week it's the Copa del Rey last sixteen. On Tuesday you've got Real Sociedad against Mallorca, Alaves against Sevilla. Oof. Then on Wednesday Sporting Gijón against Valencia, uh, Athletic Club against Espanyol, Levante against Atletico, and Betis Osasuna. Then on Thursday uh, Ceuta against Barcelona, 30th Euta, and Villarreal against Real Madrid. So looking forward to those ties. Uh, there's lots, I'm sure, that you would have liked for us to talk about, which we didn't get to. Uh, so if there is, send us a question, and we'll answer it on tomorrow's Q&A podcast. Uh, Sydney, it's been a pleasure. We'll do it all again uh, tomorrow for patrons, and next Monday for non-patrons. Adios. Cheerio. Network.